Open up to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. We're going to begin reading scripture about Jesus, what they call Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It is Palm Sunday. And as I was reading these verses and reflecting on what happened in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, I, I couldn't help think how it relates very specifically to what we have been examining through Scripture the first part of this year. And what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and uh, the consequences and the problems that may arise if we, if we don't understand what that means to be a follower of Jesus? And, and in a very similar way, just in this passage that we're going to read, as the people were celebrating Jesus' arrival, uh, they too had some misperceptions and misconceptions about who he was and what he was coming to do, and that had consequences. So, so that's going to be our launching point. So Matthew 21, starting in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the, mountain of, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So on this day, we commemorate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, right? And, and as he entered, uh, that verse there, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. And so uh, those who saw this happening would have triggered Zechariah 9.9. And they're like, there's the king. I know this. It's king. Unfortunately, for many of them, king was inaccurately defined. And the, the, they, they should have been clued in when it said gentle and riding on a donkey. Right? Because for many, when they, saw, when they interpreted Jesus coming as king, they thought political ruler, military ruler, set us free from the Romans. He was king. That's what their definition of Messiah. That would have been accurate if he had come on a horse. See, Revelation 19.11 says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. Kings, military leaders, would have entered on a horse. Jesus coming on a donkey should have clued them in that maybe his king and his role as Messiah was a bit different than theirs, right? And, and so they're shouting, 
Hosanna, they throw garments on the ground, which is tradition for symbolizing respect and submission, right? Hosanna, and we've looked at this in years past, Hosanna initially was a plea for salvation to be saved. saved. In the Old Testament, in Psalm 118, when it says, O Lord, save us, that was a plea for salvation or saving. Hosanna! It meant help, right? Over time, Hosanna transitioned into praise. Salvation has come. There was hope. So Hosanna initially was, help me, help me. I I shared before, you know, uh, when I was in junior high, uh, I was used to go to the beach a lot in San Diego. And one time I got pulled out by a riptide way past the waves, you know, in the lifeguard towers. It's a little thing on the beach. I'm doing this. And if I would have known, I would have been yelling Hosanna. But I was just yelling help. (laughs) I'm doing this. And it was a cry for Hosanna at one point. And then when the lifeguard came out and pulled me in, then it was Hosanna. Thank you. Salvation has come. That's what happened to the word Hosanna. And that's what's going on here is that initially it was a plea for help me. And then it was a plea of praise that salvation has come. Right. And, and then you, and you see there in verse 10, when, Jeruz, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Right. So so people had all these sort of different ideas. What, he's a prophet. He's just a religious guy. He's a religious leader. Others, again, would have maybe thought he was more of a messianic king, political, economic ruler. Right. And, and however you saw Jesus would have direct consequences to how you were going to interact with him, how you were going to interpret what he was saying, what you were going to do in response. Right. And so we have been looking over the last couple months. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus today? Right. And 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 I've, and I've been very specific with follower of Jesus versus Christian. And, and for some, that's been very helpful. It's been actually very challenging, right? Because the word Christian it, it can be so broad today. And you say, well, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we've been looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we've looked at it from all kinds of different angles. And we're going to continue that today. If you look at Luke chapter 9, right, we're going to go back to a passage we looked at two weeks ago conversation Jesus has with with some people who want to follow him, who he calls to follow him, right? So Luke 9, way back we started uh, in Luke 9, 18, right? When Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowds say I am? And in Luke 9, uh, 9, 19, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Verse 21, Luke 9. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it, right? And so 
there's this, who, hey, who, who do people say I am? Very similar, right? Broad answers. He asks his disciples, well, who do you say? He says, well, you're Christ. You're Messiah. You're the anointed one. And then he goes right into, and if you're going to follow me, this is, this is my definition of following me. And that's what we've been looking at all these past several weeks. And in your notes there, I put a definition of follow. And, and this right here, if you just understand this definition of follow, what is being said here, it'll help us even be more accurate because even this word following Jesus has, has kind of become muddied in the church. So in, in your notes there, the follow is defined as this, a command that is a continuous habitual action. It is a new habit for living. Following Jesus is a process. It's our life, not just an event. Why do I say that that's become muddied? Because with the best of intentions, the church over time adopted a methodology of presenting the gospel and and what they call altar call. Altar calls are not in the Bible. Just so you know. I'm not saying they're wrong. Just understand that. But there's no place in the Bible where, where someone says a sinner's prayer and comes up and talks to a counselor. Okay? It's a methodology. It, it's a way to identify someone who has a spiritual uh, desire to know Jesus. and, and all. That. It's just a way that, that we use in the church as a way to identify people. The flip side and the challenge to that is that because it's a method and people do something, they can inadvertently equate Becoming a Christian with an event. Are you a Christian? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I went forward. You see? That is always the, the caution that we have when we present the, 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 the message. You know, I, I shared with you years ago before I moved up here. I worked with uh, Pastor Miles McPherson, and we, we did a youth event in the San Diego Sports Arena. And over two, year, two days, we had 12,000 kids come. Miles is an evangelist. He shared the gospel. Hundreds of kids each night came forward. And we had 200 counselors trained and cards and all of this. And we did as best as we could to identify why they came forward, to have a spiritual discussion about Jesus, to try to make them real clear about what they were doing, that it wasn't coming forward that saves you. It's resting in the finished work of Jesus. Because we knew that at the human level, it would be really easy to link salvation to an event. And that's heavy accountability for us. Because I take it very seriously. I don't want to send someone away with a false security. That, that they didn't really put their faith in Jesus. There was a lot of factors. Their friends went forward, so they went forward. It was an emotional thing. It, all of that. And I know God works that out. But it's, it, it's weighty because if we're not careful, even in the church, we don't see following Jesus as a process. As what we, you know, we spent a year on transformation, so we get it, sort of. <laughs> But is following Jesus for you an event or a process? Is it daily? Do you wake up each day and say, Jesus, today, in the power of the Spirit, I'm going to do my best to walk so close to you that I'm covered in your dust. Remember that prayer? What a great prayer, right? Every day. That's a great prayer. Because that goes wherever you go. Work. 
right? Taking a walk on the bike path, bike ride, whatever. Jesus, wherever I go today, I just want to follow you in that situation. It's, it's a process. It's our life, okay? It's our life. And so we've been looking at that, what that means. And in this passage in Luke 9, if you go down, if you remember in 57, we looked at this two weeks ago. It says, as they were walking along the road, Luke 9:57, a man said to him, I will follow you. He's talking to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Right? And in that, that context, we looked at, in, in Matthew, it says this was a, a, a religious leader. And Jesus' answer was really saying, hey, okay, so you're saying you want to follow me wherever I go? Well, what are you willing to leave? And we, we looked at that. What about there? What about to discomfort? What about to... Whatever, in your, your life, in my life. Are you willing to follow me there? Right? And then the next guy comes. Right? The next guy comes. And in fact, Jesus says this to somebody else. And it, and it appears to be from the context that they're all in this group. Right? So he says, hey, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And then he turns to someone else, apparently, who's right around there, who might have heard that conversation, and says, hey, follow me. And look what happens in this. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So he's just told one person, hey, you're going to follow me. I'm kind of a I'm, I'm a wanderer. I'm homeless. I might have to sleep out in the desert. And right away he turns to Scott and says, hey, follow me. Right? So coming on the heels of this, repeat, we'll read it again. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus' reply is kind of like the same reply as he did in 58. Here's this guy who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. Most of us would have cheered that on. Woohoo! And then Jesus says, foxes have holes. He's like, Jesus, come on, man. Lighten up, buddy. Let's celebrate, right? Jesus kind of like seems to be like the party pooper. Kind of gives this answer that really direct, directed at the heart level. And same thing here, right? He, says, he said to me, uh, he said, follow me. Lord, First, let me go and bury my father, right? Kind of sounds, what's wrong with that? Then look what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. On the surface, if we don't understand what's happening here, once again, Jesus sounds kind of harsh. Wow, that was kind of insensitive. That was kind of insensitive. All he did was ask, first, let me go and bury my father. What's wrong with that, Jesus? Right? Well, we have to understand the context of, of this culture. Okay? First thing that we have to understand, in, in, in the Jewish culture, when someone died, they were buried as soon as possible, preferably within 24 hours. Right? That's from Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23. That's in the Torah. Someone dies, 
they are buried immediately, except if it's Shabbat or a holy day or some extenuating circumstances. But within 24 hours, they need to be buried. So even just based on that, apparently this guy's father was not dead. This phrase, I must bury my father, is actually a a quote that is still used today. And here's what the quote means in the Middle East. When I say, hey, I, I, I must bury my father, it means this. It expresses a desire to wait until the father has died before embarking too far from home. It's an indefinite delay. It's a phrase that people use to kick the can down the road. That's what he's, what he's saying, that phrase, okay, his father hasn't died. What he's saying is, hey, let me go serve my father until he dies at some point in the future. Who knows when? Then after I bury him, then I'll come follow you. That's what he was saying. He was saying, you know what, Jesus? I'm coming. But first... There's some things I need to take care of. Some may have speculated that he was the oldest son and waiting for his inheritance. Might have been family obligations, might have been whatever, we don't know. But this phrase, let me bury my father, was actually an expression that was, I need, down the road. Down the road. There's some things I need to do first. And, and that's why Jesus says, look what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead, right? Again, sounds kind of harsh if you, if you, if you don't understand the, how the Jews use the word dead. In, in Jewish communication, the word dead, what it did is it expressed, let me give you a definition, it expresses an indifference towards something or it expresses that that something has no influence over us. They act as though they are free from them and they don't exist. So what Jesus is saying, okay, he's not saying like, Physically dead, very physically dead. That's illogical. He's saying, let those who are spiritually dead, those who have no desire for the thing, kingdom of God, those who, who are just indifferent, let the secular world take care of the secular things. That's what he's saying. You, being spiritually alive, as a follower, your priority, everyone say priority, is the spiritual world. Is things of the Spirit. So, Jesus says, hey, follow me. This guy says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to come. Just not quite yet. I have other things on my plate first. And Jesus is like, let the secular world take care of the secular things. You... And the spiritual who have been made spiritually alive, your priority are the things of the kingdom of God. It's an issue today of priority. Of priority. Right? Put it, put it in, in, our, in our language when he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Sometimes we might say this, and I've said this to the Lord. Lord, when I... Then I'll come. Lord, as soon as, then you got me. Lord, let me first take care of this, then I'll serve. How many of us 
have basically said the same thing. Lord, I hear you, but first. But first. What's the problem with putting the first? It's one of the problems. The first never gets done. Something comes up, and, something, and then there's a delay, and then the first requires a second, and the second requires a third to accomplish the first. And next thing you know, it's six months down the road, and we're still saying, but Lord, but first. And then it's six years, but first. Right? What, what Jesus is saying here in, in desiring to follow him, because it's not just an event, it's an issue of priorities. Who here right now has too much on your plate? Or a full plate? Does anyone here want more on your plate? Carl? Nope, nope, that, uh, nope. How many of us, honestly, the biggest challenge is trying to decide and figure out the priorities? Right? Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Here's a help for us, and I've shared this with you before. Oftentimes when we think of priorities in our life, we think of a linear list, right? And everything seems to be competing for number one. Anyone? And you thought you had number one until something unexpected came up, and then that went to number one. And then another thing came up, and that number one becomes number five. Right? Anyone? Right? It's like shuffleboard. It's like, right? It's like this, because we're always trying to figure out what's supposed to be number one. As a follower of Jesus, if we're going to make Jesus number one, if he's going to be the priority, we don't do it in a list. We do it in a bicycle hub. To make Jesus number one, he's the hub and everything in your life and my life are just spokes. Amen. That's how you keep Jesus the priority, because no matter what you're dealing with at any given time, you seek him first in that area. Because I know me. And I don't know about you. How many of you, maybe around New Year's or just any time, anyone here made a, a resolution to read your Bible more? Go to church more? They like the things of the Lord, the good things, right? That's going to be a priority. It's going to be a priority. Even good things, right? Things of, and yet, anyone ever have another thing come along and knock out your Bible time? Anyone ever have a phone call or something come up and knock out your prayer time that you had prioritized? Right? And so if, we're, if it's always a battle in this linear way, unfortunately what happens is the things of the Lord tend to... It's called, one, one writer calls it the tyranny of the urgent. How many of you ever had a day when you just get phone calls and it's urgent? I need you right now. Can you take care of this right now? Can you meet me right now? Oh, I need to do this. That's called the tyranny of the urgent. And what happens is we make our priority list initially on what we consider important. Things of God. The important stuff. If we're not careful, the urgent stuff. And we get caught up in what they call the tyranny of the urgent. Okay, that, that's life. That's normal. How do we keep Jesus in the center of all of that? He's here. Whether you're dealing with an urgent or an important you seek him first. You follow him first. And in urgent, we all have the unexpected to come up. And then you follow him in the important. But you're seeking him first. That's what he's talking about in this passage. Is that it's an issue of priorities. 
Because the truth is, in my life and in your life, if we keep kicking the can down the road and saying, Jesus, I hear you. I'm there. When we move, June 4th, you got me. At the well. But in, in April and May, I'm kind of still busy. You see how it can happen? Just that simple. Because Jesus called him to follow him when? Right then and there. Right then and there. He said, follow me. And, and if he's saying that to us, to you and me this morning, is there a but first that immediately comes to your mind? Is there, is there something in your life and my life right now that's the first? And I'm not talking a bad thing. I'm not even talking a sinful thing. I'm not talking, is it a good thing? Is it a family thing? Is it a financial thing? Is it a career thing? Is there something even good that has taken the first? Versus, okay, let's go, Jesus. I, I, I choose to follow you. As a follower of Jesus, he's got to be first. Remember he says, if anyone wants to follow me, take up his cross, deny himself. All he was saying is, I've got to be first. All that You've got to love me more than any human relationship. I've got to be first. And so here he says, follow me. And this gentleman says, ah, this isn't a good time. This isn't a good time right now. Now he says something really, he says it in a really good way, right? <laughs> first let me go and bury my father. Kind of masking. Sounds really good, but it's really masking a misplaced priority under something that sounds really good. And that's why Jesus answers like he does. Let the dead bury their dead. He, got, he cut right to the heart. And so for you and I, who have been made spiritually alive, who understand the things of the kingdom, Jesus says that should be our priority. The things of the kingdom. The things of the kingdom. Right? Turn to Mark 4. In Mark, there's the parable of the sower. Right? Mark 4. Farmer goes out to sow his seed and he scatters seed and falls upon different types of ground. Right? And there's a result depending on what kind of ground the seed fell upon. Right? We're familiar with that in Mark 4. And then in verse four, uh, Mark 4.13, he explains that parable where a sower scatters seed, falls on different types of ground. Look in Mark 4.13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 18, this is the one we're going to focus on. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But first, but first, is there anything in your life and in my life 
right? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things. Is there anything in your life or my life that really is taking first priority? That is choking out, in one sense, your spiritual fruit, your transformation. Is there something in your life and my life where we would honestly, okay, Jesus, yeah, that's my first but first moment, right? That's my but first. Turn to Matthew 6. Look at this passage. Matthew 6. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you, Matthew 6.25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to this life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek what? Seek what? Ah, oh, priorities. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And what? All oh, these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We looked at this passage before. If you looked up the etymology or the origin of the word worry, you know what the the origin of the word worry is? Strangle. To grab someone by the throat. Strangle them. That's where the word worry comes from. Anyone? Anyone been so worried about something that you literally felt like you were being strangled? Anxious? Fearful? Right? In Mark 4, the parable tells us it can be the things of the world that choke us. In Matthew 6, it's worrying about the the, the basic necessities that can strangle us. But what's the answer? Look in Matthew 6.33. But what? Seek first His kingdom. It's priority. Look in verse... um, 30, look at verse 30 at the end. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire, will he not much more clothe you? What does it say? Oh, you of little faith. So here's, here's the thing. Setting our priority, put Jesus first, is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Even in the realm of trying to be a good husband, father, wife, mother, employee, whatever, sometimes in our desire to, to, to do things well, we're relying on self, on our own understanding, on 
half organizational principles on, on not bad things, just kind of good things. To prioritize Jesus and to seek him first is a step of faith. It's believing that, okay, Lord, I'm going to seek you first. And you say in Matthew 6.33, how many things will be added? All. The step of faith is to put Jesus first and by faith follow him, believing that he's going to take care of all the rest. That passage in Matthew 6, 25 to 33 is, is pretty practical. What you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, the basics of what we would call life, right? And at the very core, Jesus is saying, put me first because your father knows you need it. Don't act like the pagans who have no relationship with God the Father. And so the pagans are the ones that are anxious and scared and worried and type A driven into the ground and burning out. That's the pagan mindset. He says, whoa, 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 whoa. Those who have been made spiritually alive. Here's the priority. Seek me first. And in my economy, my Father will provide. Amen. That's the step of faith. That's the step of faith. Because how many of you have ever been in a situation where you kind of believe, you're pretty sure that God was calling you to something, but you didn't know how it was going to play out? And you were nervous. You might have been called to give. Oh, okay, guys. Sacrificially, you may have been called to do something. And you're like, really, Lord? And, And the step of faith was to put him first, to follow him. And then how many of you did that by faith? And God took care of the details. But you grew, why? Because you walked in faith. You grew because you trusted Him. You grew because you lived in the moment, that one daily need. And one day after another, as you walked with Jesus, your faith has grown. Your trust has grown. And, and that's, to, that's, that's our encouragement to us today. Is there something in your life or my life that's a but first? But first. Is it impacting following Jesus? And maybe maybe you realize, oh, it's an issue of faith. Yet following Jesus first, that's an issue of faith. It really is. It really is. And I love what he says. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. He's going to take care of it, right? So if we prioritize him first, he says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of the consequences. When Nadine and I were, were about to be married, we went through premarital counseling. And, and if you've been through premarital counseling, sometimes they use a triangle illustration. And our premarital counselor said this. Here's you, Richie, and here's Nadine. If you will both seek God first and make him the priority in both your lives, and you will both be growing to Jesus first and foremost, what happens to the base of the triangle as you each grow? The base shrinks, and by default, you two grow closer together. See, in the following of Jesus personally as prioritizing Jesus in my life first, and if Nadine's doing that, As we grow, 
in our sanctification, by default, our relationship will reap that benefit. Amen? But that benefit comes from seeking Him first. From seeking Him first. What is my heart for us starting June 4th? Starting now, but let's just use June 4th when we get over there, right? And just so you know, after Easter, we're going to spend some time on Sundays and, and, and we're going to walk through Scripture together so we're as prepared as we can be. Because that's going to be a big change. That's, I'm excited about it. But there's a spiritual aspect to that, that, that as, a, as a body, we're going, to, we're going to grow through and walk through Scripture together. But here's the thing. Here, here is the core of why I believe that's going to be a wonderful instrument of God. If we collectively are all seeking Him first, we collectively will continue to grow closer together. Amen? And as we grow closer together, that is going to be the testimony to the community and the, and the rest of the world. You see, one of the comments, the wonderful comments I hear regularly from visitors that... that uh, I chat with after a Sunday in particular or Saturdays when we were on Saturdays. You guys are so loving. I've never been around such a loving group because at meet and greet, you guys are like hawks. <laughs> you, you know, it's like new person, new person, new person. <laughs> right? For some, it's been a wonderful experience. Others, you scared them away because <laughs> you were so loving. Where does that come from? It's not just this hype thing that, that, oh, you know, gosh, you're such a cool guy, and I love hanging out with you, and we're just, this is just, it's not a human thing. The Bible calls it koinonia, fellowship, biblical fellowship. Where does koinonia come from? The body of Christ walking in the Spirit. Agape love. The love that we experience here and the love you have for one another, whether it's moving someone, whether it's meeting a specific need, practical need out in the community, that is a result, I believe, of the body of Christ seeking God first. And then the agape love flows out of that. When we go over there to a new physical location, my desire is that we as a collective body would just continue to be seeking the Lord first and His righteousness and we're going to continue to grow closer together, and we're going to have a lot of good times, and we're going to enjoy worship and fellowship and potlucks and all kinds of great stuff over there. But it's only going to happen as we keep first things first. Jesus. It's going to be really tempting, and I get this, it is a beautiful facility. I get that. But may we never put the facility first. Amen? Please don't do that. Please don't do that. People will come. If you drive by there today after church, you're going to go, wow. And I'm excited about it. But I'm excited about it because people will have the opportunity to be around the body of believers that are seeking Him first, that are walking by faith. And as we're doing that, we're growing individually. And as we're doing that, we're growing collectively. That's the testimony. That's the testimony I desire. For however long I'm on this planet, you're on this planet, just keep seeking Him first. Seek Him first. And you will reap the benefit 
of the seeking first. That's our walk of faith together. That's our walk of faith together. And I've I, I got to tell you, sometimes that seeking first, it's scary. It makes my heart. And you know what that, what that calls me to do? It causes me and it calls me to say, maybe I should ask someone to pray with me. Maybe I hear his call, but I just need some counsel to, to walk this walk of faith right now. So, so if there's a but first right now, it might be a huge step of faith for you to acknowledge it. Lord, yeah, I, I, I have a but first, or maybe a couple. First step is to acknowledge it. He already knows. Acknowledge it, confess it, agree with him. And then the step of faith is to do something about it. And if you need help, that's why you have brothers and sisters in the Lord. That's why you have brothers and sisters in the Lord. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you're honest with us, Jesus. And you're honest enough in this passage in Luke to challenge us with, but first. And we know you speak the truth in love. And so, our desire first and foremost, is to seek you first. Our step of faith is to trust that as we do that, you will take care of our needs, as you say in Matthew 6. But perhaps, for some, the first step is simply to confess. And what is, what is biblical confession? To confess is to agree. To say the same thing as. So if I'm going to confess to God this morning, what I'm saying is, Lord, I agree with you. I have some but firsts in my life. Lord, I agree with you. I've been kicking the can down the road. Lord, I agree with you that, that even with the best of intentions, there are other priorities. I confess it. I confess it. And Lord, I'm seeking you I'm seeking you and the power of the Spirit of what it means by faith to put you first. To put you first in all things. In all things. I confess, I agree with you, Father, that there are things that have been choking out my spiritual growth. There are things that have been strangling me spiritually. And Lord, maybe today I understand it more clearly what's been happening. It's these but firsts that I've had. So I confess this, Lord. I ask your forgiveness and I thank you that you are faithful and just to forgive. Lord, I also repent. I turn 180 and and Lord, it may not be real clear right now, but by faith, by faith, I want to seek you first. By faith, I trust you with the needs of my life as I seek you.
So in this time of communion, Shiloh and Jenny are going to lead us in a song called King of My Heart. And if there's an area in your life where you need to just confess that Jesus has not been king, you can do that. You can hold the cups in remembrance of him. For truly, when we think about what Jesus did at Calvary and and when we fast forward to Good Friday, the cross puts it all into perspective. And so, Lord, we, we give you this time of communion, confession, remembrance, that you would truly be the king of our hearts, Lord. As tangible symbols of your goodness and your grace. And Lord, in our humanness and in our flesh, we struggle with priorities. I believe that the answer is found at the cross. You are committed to the priority of your Father's will. And you went to the cross. And perhaps, Lord, if we're struggling with this area of priorities, we just need to be at the cross. Now and through this week as we look forward to Good Friday, as we reflect, as we meditate upon what you did, we yield to your priorities. We submit to your priorities. By faith, we believe in your goodness. We trust in your goodness that as we seek you first, all these things will be added. That's our step of faith. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did for us, Calvary. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We take communion today in remembrance of you, Jesus. We take communion today recognizing that ultimately you went to the cross because you were committed to your Father's priorities. So we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. Amen. So as we continue to move forward in being followers of Jesus, here's my encouragement. It's a good thing. Amen? Amen. Kind of challenging, kind of convicting at times, but a good thing. It's a good thing. God is good. All the time. And all the time. So keeping Him first is the first priority is a good thing. Amen? Amen. Not always easy, but good. But good. And my heart's desire for and and I really mean this, guys. I look forward to that midweek over there when we celebrate God's goodness as a church family. And then... My heart's desire on every Sunday when we're in our new facility, even now, but when we're over there as a marker, that people would come and experience God's goodness and grace. God's goodness and grace. And you know how they're going to experience that? Through you. Through you. We're going to worship. We're going to preach the word. We're going to be true. We're going to be unwavering and uncompromising. But here's the glorious thing that I look forward to. is people coming to a new facility for whatever reason 
and meeting me. And seeing normal people <laughs> doing their best to follow Jesus. And when, and when they say, What's, what makes you tick, man? You got this weird smile on your face. You got this joy. You have this hope. You just say, I'm just following Jesus. I'm just following Jesus. Can we just do that together? Let's just do that together. All right? Let's stand and we'll sing this very familiar song about seeking Him first. <clears throat>